And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich, pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. Hans Vogt, professor of Ulster County Community College. Hi. Well, gentlemen, it's a delight to have you here in the studio today. Before opening the mics, we uh, had our coffee and uh, waters, and my dad had brought pastries this morning, Mm. so we were... We were uh, really enjoying each other's company, so uh, uh, it's a good thing you can't see us here in the studio because we got stuff all over the place and coffee cup and water and you know, whatnot and probably some crumbs here and there. <laughs> but anyway, um, today we have an interesting topic of discussion that has been uh, suggested to us, and that is um, let's discuss the Second Great Awakening, and I'm sure we'll discuss much more. But, you know, as we pause and think about our nation here in America, we realize that in many ways we're in trouble, aren't we? Um, We see maybe polls, or we see culture, um, we see a lot of perversion, um, a lot of lack of justice as compared to uh, what the scriptures would have us do as a nation. And... um, don't know about you. I suspect you feel the same way, dear listener, but um, we need a revival in this nation. Uh, we do need some kind of a great awakening. And it's helpful to talk about, review where we have come from as a nation, what took place during the Second Great Awakening. Maybe we'll touch upon the first as well. And um, what do we need to do today? We certainly can't design a great awakening, but certainly we can pray to God, ask him to forgive our sins. And uh, so, gentlemen, um, the landscape is this. What kind of um, emotions or, or sensibilities exist prior to one of these great awakenings in the people of America, historically, as, as you guys have studied it? Well, when you look at the background for the First Great Awakening, you see a, a rapidly growing colonies at that time in the 1730s and 40s, um, and particularly in New England, a sense that the colonies had gotten away from their original spiritual beginnings, that the Puritan idea of creating a city on a hill, a godly model community to you know be the example uh, to the rest of the world that that had gotten lost in the pursuit of materialism and in the, in the pursuit of more worldly things. And so that First Great Awakening began sort of as a call to repentance and to call people back to their original purposes. A similar thing you see with the Second Great Awakening. It's the early national period, as historians call it. That is, the United States is now an independent nation. Uh, we have a constitution. We have a government. But in, there's a sense that, again... Perhaps the country is growing rapidly and losing its way. You have many elites, um, many leaders who were abandoning uh, traditional Orthodox Christianity, uh, getting involved with um, deism, uh, with masonry, uh, Unitarianism in New England. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, you have a, a increasing numbers of immigrants coming into the country um, who practice unfamiliar forms of Christianity. Some of them are Catholic, some of them are Lutheran. Um, or some of them are not perhaps um, that devout at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, in many ways, then, the, the country seems to be um, tearing apart. And so, again, there's a sense that we need to mm. bring the nation back together and focus mm-hmm. on 
God. Hans, you mentioned especially uh, the Second Great Awakening, deism. Um, I think the main tenets of deism is that God has created the earth, set it in motion, and then has backed away, and it's up to us to do everything. And I think that is a very strong, prevalent mindset that was there. It's one that focuses on man, very strong humanistic concepts Mm -hmm. working, and which is also, I think, part and parcel of the Unitarianism that was growing up, and then the Transcendentalism, which also uh, grew up in the uh, 19th century. Very much a focus on man, much less a focus on God and Him being the one that is the part and parcel of our lives, the causer of all blessings. And uh, one of the things I would I would even say about this is if you look at the First Great Awakening, that was the precursor to the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the Founding Fathers... What the Founding Fathers recognized was they didn't have a chance of succeeding without God helping them. And there were a few exceptions to that, but by and large, that was the the whole attitude going into the American Revolution, and I believe that was because of the First Great Awakening. Hmm. Right. Deism really, you know, again, it's, it's steeped in the Enlightenment, the emphasis on man's reason. Mm-hmm. Man can figure everything out. We don't need divine revelation. We can figure mm-hmm. it out with our own intellect and our own uh, scientific explorations. It's a good deal of pride there, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the, the image very often they used of God was that of a clockmaker. You know, if you think about a clockmaker who designs a clock and builds it and assembles mm-hmm. the gears and springs, but once the clock is running, the clockmaker steps back. He doesn't stand there pushing the minute hand or the second hand around. He doesn't stop the mm-hmm. clock. Um, and in the same way, they didn't believe in anything supernatural. If God had created the universe to run by natural laws, they reasoned, why would he break those laws? So they mm-hmm. rejected the miracles. They rejected the divinity of Christ, um, all of that. Thomas Jefferson took uh, a knife and cut out of the Bible all the supernatural things he didn't agree with. Oh, yeah, I forgot about mm, that. Jefferson yeah. Bible, yeah. <laughs> Jefferson Bible. Mm. Um, I've been reading in Ephesians lately, and there's one verse there that reminds us how, uh, really reminds me of the providence of God. It uses the phrase, um, who ordains all things after the counsel of his will, uh, words to that effect. And it's a great comfort to me personally to know a God, um, the triune God of the scriptures, who really has his finger on the pulse of this world, yeah. who who uh, brings things into my life and people, and he holds me in his hands as he uh, conducts the affairs of this world. I'm so glad that he's not just simply a clockmaker that wound it up and went away and just left us willy-nilly. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then if you look at our current circumstances today, and, and of course ever since the 60s with the... Uh, O'Hare decision to take uh, prayer out of school. Mm-hmm. I just spoke with an individual once a few years after that occurred, and he said, you know, I don't know that the prayer was so important in school after all, because a mm-hmm. lot of the kids really weren't into it. And that may have been true, but when you officially take it out of school, what have you done? You mm-hmm. have said, here we are, we're teaching you for life. We're giving you, equipping yeah. you with everything you need for life, and you don't need God. Yeah, it sends a strong message, doesn't it? Yes. Now, I see we're uh, up against a break, gentlemen. 
Today's discussion is dealing with the Second Great Awakening and also looking forward to God working in our land once again uh, by His Holy Spirit convicting men of their sin that we might come uh, right with Him because our nation is so much in need of repentance, of revival, and of reformation. Stay with us now. We'll be right back on the other side of the break. We have turned from your ways, Lord. We lack the power we once knew in our prayers. The gentle voice of heaven. that he has risen no longer stirs our soul We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. Revive us, oh Lord. Revive us, oh Lord. And cleanse us from our impurities and And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. Today's discussion is centered around the Second Great Awakening. Uh, prior to the break, gentlemen, we were talking about um, several things, one of which was deism or deism. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. <laughs> but uh, the concept that God was like a clockmaker, um, winding the clock, creating the clock, winding it, but then just kind of going away and letting that clock uh, run on its own, as opposed to what the Scripture would have us believe concerning God. But um, 
we in America here are really, I think, at a crossroads. Um, we need the God of the Scriptures to uh, come down upon us and uh, convert our hearts. We see a lot of secularism um, on the rise, really um, a sense that uh, we can do anything we want. Um, God, you know, maybe he's there, maybe he's not. Who cares? Um, a lot of immorality going on in our land and a lack of justice. Um, so, Mark Diedrich, here's a specific question for you. Not that we can design this, but we can at least pray and call upon God. What would be honoring to God to see happen in a land right now, in America? Uh, what kind of things would we want to pray for that God would bring our way? Wow. The first thing, <laughs> what we need to do is we need to pray that God would send our hearts. And first, I think it starts with the church. You know, you've mm-hmm. got to start with the church, that our hearts would be right with God, that we would be humble that uh, we would desire what he desires. Mm-hmm. You know, we, Jesus gave us the prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, and it starts, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Mm. We need yeah. to desire that for our own lives, for the lives of the church, and then also for our nation. But uh, again, we leave this in the Lord's hands. He is the one who does this. Uh, mm-hmm. This is one of the key things with the First Great Awakening. Mm-hmm. When you have Jonathan Edwards, and he writes a narrative of surprising conversions. You know, why are those conversions surprising? Doesn't God convert people? Yes, he does convert people. But in that, when you read it, what Edwards is saying is really, you know, we didn't do anything different. Mm-hmm. We remained faithful. We had had some small awakenings beforehand. We kept preaching the gospel. We kept doing those things, and we saw some results, not a lot. And he says, now, all of a sudden, God is giving us a huge harvest. So the sense there is that... It's that God did it. It's not anything that we did special. And so when you read a narrative of surprising conversions, Edwards is, he's not trying to tell you how you get God to come and bless you. He is just reporting Mm -hmm. on what happened, and his conclusion basically is, we just remained faithful, and God decided to, at this point, do something special, and it was all God. Well put. So here's really uh, what's coming out of this today, is that here's this contrast between um, true revival that God brings forth because Mm -hmm. his people are broken before him, calling upon him, um, versus this kind of man-created aura. Now, um, let's contrast that immediately. Hans, you've studied so much of this. Um, Let's say the Second Great Awakening. What are some of the kind of the man-created things that come out of that Second Great Awakening that are not necessarily from the Lord? Right. What you see happening in the Second Great Awakening is, in many instances, not all, of course, but an emphasis on we're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. Um, one of the leading uh, revival preachers here in the Northeast was Charles Grandison Finney. Right. Uh, and Finney actually wrote the book on revivals. That is, he wrote a manual uh, based on his experience of how you can manufacture a revival. Uh, and quite explicitly and unashamedly, he based that on manipulating people's emotions. Mm. 
And his justification essentially was the ends justify the means. Um, he had uh, a series of revivals in Rochester, New York, hmm. in 1839, in which, um, by some accounts, 100,000 people were converted. Um, and so basically his argument was, look, I understand that emotion is not religion. I understand that getting people whipped up into a frenzy is not mm -hmm. necessarily related to Christianity. But, he said, people are so spiritually sluggish, they are so seduced by temptations and, and desires, that you have to get them more excited about God than they are about mm -hmm. the pleasures of the flesh. And that, Finney says, is what I'm trying to do. But do the ends justify the means? Um, yeah, that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Is there another way? Let's say um, you've got the same conditions on the ground that existed in Finney's day, and you've got the Finney theory versus, I want to say, what the Bible would admonish us to do. Um, how could we approach the same problem as Christian men using the Bible as our authority? I think one of the things you do is you look at the Bible and say, what does it ask me to do? And it asks me to be faithful and not necessarily look at the results. Look at all the faithful men in scriptures. Here you have a man such as Elijah, who meets with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel mm. uh, before Ahab, and he has, if you will, a great revival meeting there. Mm. You know, mm. <laughs> At the end, all the prophets of Baal are killed. God sends fire and everything, and what happens the very next day? Jezebel says, I'm going to kill this guy, and Israel falls right back into its old sinful ways. Mm -hmm. You know, God will give when he gives. And so Elijah, you know, he could have given up. He tried to almost tried to give up, actually, mm -hmm. is what he did. Mm -hmm. But he was discouraged. But he remained faithful, and God said, you know, there were still 7,000. That's right. Now, that doesn't sound like a huge number, and it wasn't. But they were the faithful. And that's an important point, that we have to be faithful you know, to preach the word in season and out of season. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have to remember that we don't convert people. People talk about, you know, how many did Charles Finney yeah. or how many did Billy Graham convert at his last? Yeah. Yeah. No, Billy Graham didn't convert anyone. Right. The Holy Spirit it, is yeah. does but, the work of conversion. Yeah. When I was a student at Moody, I, I had one of my uh, close friends mention one time. He says, you know, last summer I led a thousand people to Christ. And he says, I don't know where one of them are today. <laughs> You know, and yeah. he was he was basically saying, you know, what I did last summer, I'm not sure it means a, a thing. Hmm. Well, we want to see um, God's will be done, and, mm -hmm. and our sense is that we desperately need God to move in our midst, to convict men, women, boys, and girls of their sin, to bring them to faith, and that they might live profoundly Christian lives, self-consciously right. Christian lives, um, with the view that... I really want to obey God. I want to do everything he's asking me to do towards building Christian civilization. Yeah, One of the things we have to remember is the Great Commission yeah. wasn't to make converts. It was to make disciples. There you go. And that's one of the things you really see in the Second Great Awakening, and that has continued in many parts of evangelical America. Um, and that is, in the effort to try to get conversions... Um, many of the preachers of the Great Awakening simplified the gospel message. Um, and oh, yeah. one might almost say dumbed it down, but, but reduced mm -hmm. it to a very simple message um, that you're a sinner and you're going to go to hell, but God's offering you a free gift of salvation. Choose to receive that gift. 
So the whole focus is on conversion, and then after that is um, looking forward to heaven, and then everything that's in between, in my mind, becomes almost like a don't care. And, and that, that troubles mm-hmm. me to no end. Right, and in you know we should point out that there there were efforts to at discipleship. I mean, you you have the yeah. Sunday school movement comes mm-hmm. uh, out of this, mm-hmm. and you have um, eventually by mid century you will you will get the holiness movement. Yeah. Um, so so there is an effort on. Uh, it's not that they totally ignore discipleship, um, but mm. in the immediate rush of the revival, the focus is all on the conversions, and it's very easy, like with your friend, for mm-hmm. the, those converts to get lost in the shuffle. Hey, Mark, I'm sitting here thinking now of um, one of the ministries out there, uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators, and how that, uh, that ministry, as I perceive it, has a long-range view. Uh, they'll mm-hmm. go into a field and, and labor for years, translating mm-hmm. the Bible in, into the heart language of a people. Um, that's got to be a, a godly thing, I'm thinking. Yeah, it's one of the things when you look at that and, and you do see the long term now. Hmm. Um, my son Jeremiah is going back to Brazil um, mm-hmm. in, in a week. Hmm. And, and he's, but, a, he's a missionary and pilot. And he's a missionary there. pilot there. And, and, and he was saying his last term out there, he went into a, a group, a tribe of people who's had a missionary there for... I don't know, 20, 30 years, and nothing really has been going on. And he said, all of a sudden, these people are hungry for the Word of God. God is working. And and that's it. These people have the long term. They're looking ahead and being patient for God to work. So that's one of the things that comes out of this discussion today, is you might be out there faithfully laboring for your Lord Jesus Christ, maybe not seeing all that much fruit, don't be discouraged. Right. You know, if if and God has called you to a ministry or a particular work, uh, helping the poor, whatever it is, stay with it, and God will give the fruit in his time. That's right. You know, you always examine your own life when you don't see a lot of, of fruit that way and say, is there something I'm doing wrong? Is there something in my life that is hindering yeah. that? There's nothing wrong with that. That sure. we should always do. Mm-hmm. But just because... There's nothing, you know, it's not always that there's something in your life that's hindering it. Mm-hmm. it it's often that, that you're being faithful and you're, everything's fine. It's just God has not chosen mm-hmm. to give the fruit at that time. Now, let's, um, Hans, you've done a lot of prep for this um, discussion today. And I've got a number of printouts here that you sent me. Some of it flows from um, your college experience. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the Second Great Awakening and how that uh, this shift starts to happen where a lot of minds move away from what we would call orthodox Christianity, uh, the, the, the Christianity of the Bible, and what are some of the more wacko things that flow out of the Second Great Awakening that are more man-centered and of man's making? Well, what happens is that um, one of the problems, if you will, that the, the Second Great Awakening is trying to solve is actually the shortage of ordained clergy. Hmm. Um, in 1775, which is the year the American Revolution begins, of course, Lexington and Concord, there were 1,800 ordained ministers in the 13 colonies. Now, that works out to about one minister for every 1,500 people. What a ratio. One for every 1,500 people. What that meant in okay. practice was that once you moved away from the older seaboard towns and you moved into what was then the frontier, there was usually no church at all. Yeah, that's a real problem. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, by 1845, by contrast, at, at the end of this 
series of revivals we call the Second Great Awakening, mm-hmm. there were 40,000 ministers, or one for every 500 Americans. Oh, that's interesting. But the way, so, so here's the problem, we don't have enough clergy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the solution was to get away from insisting that ministers be seminary trained and college educated. Mm-hmm. So if somebody feels called to preach, we'll lay hands on them and we'll send them out to preach. Mm-hmm. Again, in, in one sense, it's a practical solution. You can see the appeal of it. The, the yeah, circuit mm-hmm. riders, the uh, Methodist and Baptist circuit riders, are phenomenally mm-hmm. successful on one hand. The danger of that, though, is that because you are sending out people who are not educated and not trained, um, it's very easy for them to slide into theological mm-hmm. error. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes if they get a voice, uh, we see it in our own day even, where some guys rise within an organization... For whatever reason, they get a hold of the microphone, and their understanding of the Christian faith is really whacked out, and then they can adversely affect a lot of people. Right. You see a number of, not only new denominations are are formed and coming out Mm -hmm. of this, of course, but you also have some semi- or non-Christian cults that also come out of this, too, where a charismatic figure says, I have received a special revelation from God, listen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the largest of, of those, and, and the one that's still around uh, today, of course, uh, would be Joseph Smith uh, Jr. and um, the Mormons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Now, you've uh, studied them as well. I see you've got some charts that you've drawn up contrasting uh, the Mormon faith with, uh, I guess, what we would call mainstream Christianity. And there's really quite a few points of... Um, contrast and disagreement. I'm not sure how much we would get into uh, today in this discussion, but we certainly have that available if you need it. Contact us offline. Yeah, one of the big areas uh, where you find the groups taking off is where individuals come, such as Joseph Smith, and say, I've got a special revelation. Now, of course, that's been a little bit of flux with the Mormons uh, because it was initially plates that were given and then plates taken up. And then a, a salamander, and uh, and th- there was a big th- to-do about that. But they actually added to the scriptures. Now, I'm just looking at the clock here, gentlemen. I realize that we're running out of time. Today, we're looking here on A Plain Answer at the Second Great Awakening. And what we want to do is continue this discussion next week Uh, There's so much that we have yet to cover, and so please join us next week um, for a continuation of this interesting discussion. And if you have any questions for these gentlemen, uh, please email them to us. Just go to our website. You'll find our email address there, ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. So sorry we are out of time. Plain Answer is heard at 10 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, as well as 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Today, join me in the studio has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. For Plain Answer, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please join us again next week at the same time, and may our Lord richly bless you today with His grace and His peace as you serve Him. 